Welcome to Hunting for Novosparcus by Coho Creative. So what is a Novosparcus? Well, it's a wonderfully creative, unique, and memorable symbol of our mission to spark new thinking. So in every episode of this podcast, we will be hunting for Novosparcus through yet another lens. Trends, strategy, innovation, consumer understanding, and more. We'll be beating the bushes, tracking the signs, and reading the landscape to find precious new thinking that puts you in front of change, in touch with your consumer, and ahead of the competition. So let's go in search of the Novosparcus. I'm Ellen Craven, Group Strategy and Innovation Director at Coho. I have with me today Lane Rumke, who is our trend expert, and she is going to ground us in the topics we're about to discuss. So to continue our conversation about alternative food methods in urban areas and how the food industry is going to learn and grow from what we're seeing in the future, I'm going to give a quick recap about some trends that we discovered and discussed in our first episode of this series. The first trend that we are seeing and are going to be talking about is this idea of big food and how big food is now getting compared to things like big pharma. And people in general are just feeling a lot of distrust and a lot of confusion about where the food's coming from, who's growing it. And even if they're trying to make improvements with themselves and their relationships with food and the earth, they're not really sure how to do this. Another trend that we're seeing is just the growing population and that relationship with our lack of resources and how our food system is going to have to adapt to deal with those changes and specifically in urban areas where extra growth is happening, seeing how our food system is going to change because of that. So those are the overall trends that we talked about. And now we're going to get into our guest. So our first guest is Daniel Clemens, and he is one of the owners and farmers of Waterfields, and they are actually um, in the Clifton area. And I'm going to turn the mic over to Daniel and let him tell you about Waterfields and um, what this really great, interesting company is doing right now. Sure. So we're a uh, specialty produce provider for much of the Midwest. Uh, we're very Cincinnati-centric, uh, so you'll find our products uh, in restaurants, on plates, uh, typical garnish, uh, the, the pretty stuff on the plates that maybe you never eat or you might just see, but you'll find us at anywhere from a Jeff Ruby restaurant or a uh, branch type restaurant in East Walnut Hills. So why did you and who's your partner? Do you have one partner or multiple? Uh, so it's a group of us. Okay. Uh, there's three operating partners on myself, uh, Dan Dyvelbis, who was uh, working for the US EPA and in a doctorate program at UC at the time, uh, very much the engineer, uh, the mind of technology. <laughs> um, and then Sam Dunlap was a, he's a farm guy, like could grow things probably when he was three years old and just uh, did it for a long time. Uh, just taught urban agriculture. Uh, but the three of us really make up the operating team of Waterfields. And uh, at the end of the day is what's made us uh, succeed. So what made the three of you start the company? So we all kind of had a different juncture into the company. Um, in the beginning, uh, Dr. Vic Garcia from Cincinnati Children's Hospital uh, was really a catalyst for us coming together. Um, Vic was very big into a lot of the poverty afflictions in Cincinnati, uh, some of the major statistics, whether it was childhood poverty rates uh, or those kind of things. Uh, and Sam and Dan at the same time were doing some project level, hobby level um, aquaponics, which is fish and plants coming together uh, as a grow method, uh, but also just kind of 
saw a business opportunity there a little bit. Uh, so we just started meeting at the the basement uh, of Smith Hall at, at Xavier, uh, the business school. Uh, it was one of those like, well, we all have another job to go to. So I guess <laughs> 6 a.m. is the meeting time. And we kept showing up. I think that happens a lot. And eventually we jumped in, you know, we did a lot of conversations with a lot of different people of just uh, probing the market in different ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, we realized we just kind of had to jump uh, and we we took a leap and we pulled together. I don't know what it was at the time, like $4,000, $5,000 and started. Nice. <laughs> so what would you say your mission is with this company? Sure. So, uh, you know, from a product perspective, a lot of what we're doing is trying to change the food system, uh, change how the supply chains work in our in in our city, but also in the Midwest as a larger regional hub. Uh, but as a underlying social mission with, with what we do, a lot of what we're centered on is um, it's tied to the poverty piece, but a lot of it is just identifying individuals who have a lot of talent within them, but are ignored for different reasons. Uh, everybody comes with life challenges. Everybody's got things going on. It doesn't matter if a single mother, uh, you might have a record or something. Um, there are a lot of uh, corporate companies, a lot of companies out there that, you know, you see the job requirements where it's like, ooh, you need like eight years of experience to drive this pallet, Jack, or whatever it is. Um <laughs> Or, I have more than that, and I wouldn't drive it. I'd crash it. Yeah, or, or you, you know, you have a record from when you're 18, so now you can't be the janitorial staff at the Starbucks. You yeah. know, it's like those are really um, kind of discriminatory things that go on. Uh, and so a lot of what we look for in individuals is just character, is kind of like remove all those things out. And, and I just want to meet the person. Um, we can teach the urban agriculture. We can teach the tech. We can teach them what it means to really be a great employee. Uh, and, and that's just who we are as a company. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you're starting to expand your mission across all of the Midwest rather than just in our city. Do you guys have plans on how you're going to continue to expand, but remain having the local values that you guys have and remain having the mission that you guys have? Local is really hard. Local means a lot of different things to different people. Uh, if you shop at your local Kroger here, you'll see those big, placard stamps that say, you know, this is local. I think Kroger's definition is 500 miles, which is kind of absurd That's to some lot. people, right? Um, you know, to local restaurants uh, here in Cincinnati, you might see, you know, on the bottom of the menu, we support these farms or something's called out on a menu. That's a very different definition of yeah. local, right? There's a uh, an interchange between farmer and chef there. For us, a lot that we do is um, making sure that there's respect to the product along the way. So the values are in the story. It's what does that product really tell? Um, local is not just buy local because it's local. It's buy local because it's better. Um, so uh, for our world with microgreens, which are tiny herbs, uh, little plants, that typical garnish. Um, traditionally, they've been out of California. Uh, there's a company out of California that's been doing it since the 90s um, and they grew pretty large, uh, but it means an overnight world of stuff going through FedEx. Uh, the quality is depreciated. It's already cut. It's kind of uh, on its way out on the time of arrival for that chef. Uh, if it's going through a middleman, a distributor, um, that's even longer before it's getting to the point of consumption. So even if we're distributing uh, or taking stuff to Chicago or Nashville like we are today, uh, it's still with respect to the product. It's still with respect to the age of the product uh, so that Ultimately, that local narrative 
isn't just narrative. It's local because it's better. Right. So you told me earlier that you sold seven tons of microgreens and what was it, a quarter million edible flowers? Yeah, a quarter last million year. edible flowers last and year. And you can't see these microgreens. They're beautiful. They, they look like pieces of art. Um, how, and you've talked about chefs too. So what is that farm chef relationship look like? Sure. So for us, a lot of where we try and take ourselves to is to a, a partner perspective. If, if you're transactional with somebody, you might as well be buying something off Amazon, right? It, it's like, you're just looking to get the product in exchange for the dollars. A lot of what we want to do is, uh, kind of be within that last mile with the chefs, uh, so that we're in the back of the kitchens talking with them. We're sampling, we're bringing, um, huge chunks of product with us just so that they can have that experiential touch on the product, uh, be hands-on with it, be tasting it as they're crafting their menus. Um, every chef goes through menu cycles. Uh, so I'm sure right after Valentine's day, a bunch of chefs will be ready to turn over their menus or make some changes, um, swap some things. That's where us being in the back of the kitchen during the day when, when no one's there, there's nobody eating there. Um, that's where the real meaningful partnership work begins. So are they coming to you? Like, do you, are you now to the point where you have enough partnerships that they come to you and as opposed to going outside kind of that tri-state area to look for new We do some tours with individuals. We have a lot of uh, groups that will come down, whether it be from uh, uh, the buying side of a restaurant group uh, or just a chef themselves. Uh, we've done tours with like entire kitchen staff. So let's bring in our line cooks. Let's bring our prep cooks. Let's get everybody hands-on with this stuff and really understand um, so, so that everybody knows why this local is better. Everybody can see it and touch it and feel it and experience it. That's. I think that's actually really important because a lot of people will say local's better, but they can't actually tell you what that actually means or why that's important. Yeah, we've so done some work honest, with some caterers really awesome. who are kind of stepping up. Uh, so Funky's Catering here in Cincinnati is doing a lot this year to uh, capture local and really tell that story of local. So even if you have a small dinner party, you know, something where it's it's not a wedding even or something larger, it's just a small dinner party that you're using their catering for. Um, they want everybody to be able to say, you know, oh, this is from this company here. It's better because of these reasons mm -hmm. or, you know, that comes from an experiential side that comes from touching the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think that there are a lot of greater repercussions um, and benefits of creating something locally. But on a personal level, as being an eater or a chef, just having that experience and having that better quality should be reason reason enough for you. Um, that local is something that you would want to be a part of. And knowing where it came from. And I'm guessing they actually would be able to choose what they're working against each time. It's not that you're saying, you know, here's something I think that's right for you. Here are lots of different options. And it, there is kind of a personalization for the chef too. Yeah, absolutely. Every, every chef has like kind signature. of a different forte of what they're really trying to do with their menu. And even places that you might otherwise group together and say, oh, these are both, you know, fancy white tablecloth, mm -hmm. expensive kind of places. Chefs have very different approaches to things. Uh, and that's good. There's some artistry in that world. And, and I think for us as a farmer, it's kind of just trying to be the next um, the palette of paints, not the next mm -hmm. paint for the chef to really yeah. play with and be creative. Have you guys gotten any feedback from chefs or the restaurants or businesses that you've worked with like that? Wow, this has really improved our business or we've gotten a lot of 
um, great feedback since we've started using your products. We love going into a kitchen when we're doing a taste sampling against the California stuff. Uh, the California product traditionally has been grown for shelf life, uh, for transit via FedEx. Um, so when somebody pulls out that, that clamshell from their walk-in <laughs> and you can taste side by side, it, it's amazing what the room turns to because it's like they're pulling in their sous chef they're pulling in whoever did like you gotta taste this nice. yeah. like that's such a fun time as a as a salesperson in that role uh you're just serving them at that point mm-hmm. right like i think uh sales has this weird dirty reputation sometimes of like you're being a car salesman mm-hmm. you're in the back of a kitchen like soliciting um we're a partner at that moment and even if we just met that person three minutes ago it's incredibly fun. Yeah, that's amazing. And actually, I'm going to I'm going to build on what you just said, um, because you talk about one of the repercussions of, you know, mass produced, uh, mass processed is taste and flavor. Are there other things that you see that, um, you know, when you think about products that have been mass produced, mass processed, what are other repercussions that you're seeing from a from a nutrition standpoint or from a distribution or, you know, just from your point of view? From the produce side, age is very important. Age means uh, it can be nutritional loss. Uh, So uh, consuming something that's many days old sometimes will have much less in the nutrition than when you just picked it. Everybody has that uh, kind of innate knowledge that garden produce, that garden outside is really good in the summer. It's like a thing that people can really connect with that, ooh, I just harvested this it tastes really mm-hmm. good. Uh, it's nutritious for me and my family. That's a lot of what's missing at the grocery level. And even in the food service side in, in the back end of the restaurants where, you know, that basil, as an example, um, that if it was in your garden in an herb pot or something like that, you're consuming it on day one. It has the most amount of its essential oils. It's going to taste the best it's ever going to taste. Um, the grocery store one is probably four, five, six days old yeah. already. It's almost like you're going to buy it. And then you're like really confused at why it went bad. Exactly. So fast. <laughs> that's me. That you're, is totally me. You're pitching stuff. I mean, in some ways, you know, you've got stuff that's um, just got a long transit across the country uh, for a lot of the herbs. They're actually out of South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a partnership with Premier Produce One, who's one of our good partners in, in Ohio. Uh, they are a produce distributor with warehousing in Dayton, Columbus, and Cleveland. Uh, they're so invested in a lot of what local really can be and what to them premier brands can be. Um, those premier brands are really representative, right? Of um, what are the meaningful changes we can make to the food system together? Uh, so previously they were buying stuff out of South America. It's like a dollar a pound out of South America. It's all freight to get it here. Mm-hmm. So by the time it gets to the customer, what they're actually paying is just like the freight the dynamic freight, of yeah. it. Yep. Um, and then it gets into the back of a restaurant where you would think, ooh, this is going to be like really good quality mm-hmm. because this is a fancy restaurant. It's like, no, that restaurant just got two-day shelf life on the basil <laughs> the same way you did in your personal fridge. Um, so <laughs> we are able to kind of flip that whole script where we're making the harvest, we're sending it to Premier. It can then get out to a customer and it's one day old. You know, it's yeah. not it's not four or five or on the cusp of going bad. So it's more nutritious, more flavorful uh, and is the same price. Right. We're not we're not playing at that side of, oh, we want to uh, sell you this local item, but it's double the price. So if you want to pay double the price, here's your better item. It's like, no, let's shift the whole supply chain. I think that's really important. 
So one of the other things you talked to us about um, earlier was you do have some expansion plans underway. What do those look like? Sure. So today we've been very specialty focused. Um, That meant microgreens, edible flowers, uh, some premium salad blends. A lot of our partnership with Premier Produce One is to get closer into some things that would traditionally be commodities, uh, things that, uh, at least on a produce basis, have kind of a barrier entry in in that price world uh, of, hey, if I'm only going to grow 10 pounds a week of this, I really can't sell it besides anything at a high Mm -hmm. price. So let's talk uh, basil at thousands of pounds per week and see what we can do and, and kind of shift over production from some of these California or South America outlets just to bring it local, to bring the quality up, to bring the availability up. If there, there's no um, season transition or something like that, that's going to go on from one of these large brokers or wholesalers. Uh, but with Premier, we're kind of using them as a distribution option uh, for the betterment of both of us, right? So for for me as a local farm, I can go into the back of just about any restaurant, but there's barriers when it comes to like, Ooh, I want to sell to uh, a hospital or I want to sell into Cincinnati public school. Mm -hmm. Um, those are not things that you just knock on the back of a door. Like there's huge barriers there. There's buying dynamics. Um, so going through distributors who have those contracts, who have those relationships and then getting to the partner conversation Mm -hmm. with the three of us together means, okay, we can now go to, um, Ohio State, we can now go to Cincinnati Public School, we can now go to all these kind of uh, real world changes to our food system. And it's never going to be, ooh, pay double the price. It's going to be, hey, we're working with Waterfields to change this already. Um, Their basil is great. You need to try it. We then have that experiential side in the kitchen with them. People can see it, can taste it, can experience it. Uh, That's meaningful. Nice. Do you know of any um, large food or beverage companies that are actively supporting these types of efforts? I I go back to the distributor side. I mean, that's really a familiar space for us. Um, We work with a lot of food distributors across the Midwest, um, and there's very different reactions to things when it comes to supporting local. So you'll have some large broadliners who maybe have a local initiative or something like that. I go back to just with Premier as a good example. Um, when we started with Premier Produce, uh, their first truck pickup was like one or two cases. I mean, it was a huge loss for them to pick it up. It, it just call out what it is, but there was investment from the beginning there. Um, and yeah, we were hungry and we hustled and we approached them with new ideas. Um, the willingness to open up top to bottom with a local farm that otherwise had no business having those meetings is incredible. Um, so uh, we were brought into meetings with their president and owner. I mean, we're talking a uh, hundred million dollar plus kind of company that you're now meeting with the president of as a local farm. Yeah, That's a choice by them, right? Definitely. That's a significant thing because there's always barriers of getting a meeting, getting a phone call is kind of things that uh, ultimately sales reps go fishing for and you never are going to get to the president, right? But we could have strategic conversations of how we help each other, how we make real change um, and just kind of pull everything together. And, and that's how, for us, our growth path really happened. We we knew that if we were going to take a significant growth step, um, we needed an anchor. You know, that, that anchor verbiage for us was very important of we need somebody really it's going to help us take this risk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a risk to build a large greenhouse asset. It's a big 
costly kind of thing. Um, and we knew that's what we needed to do here in Cincinnati. Um, there's a lot of old greenhouse stock here, but not a lot of new things. So for us, a production asset was going to be Paramount. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was someone like Premier who was there for us. Saw the bigger change that was able to happen if they were to make. Yeah, it, it's betterment for themselves, right? Yeah. So uh, right now, the way that you kind of use those mass process, mass produce mm-hmm. kind of things work, all your food distributors really sell the same stuff. Uh, there's very little uniqueness in the food system. So uh, if you looked at watercress, for example, watercress is uh, used on a lot of uh, plates with steak. Yeah. It's that pairing. Mm-hmm. It kind of tastes, uh, it's a nasturtium variety. It kind of tastes like watercress. It's a peppery, <laughs> it's a peppery thing. Um, Everybody buys it from the same place. Uh, it's no different than uh, if you looked at like iceberg lettuce or something like that, a, a cut um, packaged lettuce. A lot of it was from Club Chef down here in Kentucky, close to us, uh, which Taylor Farms bought, which is another large entity. Mm-hmm. Um, they control a lot, right? It's like, hey, if you want to buy um, tens of thousands of pounds of iceberg lettuce per week, where are you going to buy from? It's, it's got to come from that one person. Oh, by the way, this is like the bid for the lowest price. Yeah. So yeah. here's the big thing. So a lot of where um, we've done a lot of good work with Premier jointly is let's have transparency into what are the things you buy? Um, what do you pay for things? What do you sell things for? And how can we identify crops that make sense to bring local where there's going to be instant impact? Uh, I used basil before because they just had all these basil troubles and, and the chefs at the back end had all the trouble, right? I mean, that's like, ooh, I bought this basil and it's junk. I need to get rid of it. So um, we were happy to bring it. And now like we've got probably about like 50% of their basil supply. We're increasing our capacity to kind of deal with that um, every week. And it's like customers are now fishing for more. It's like, how can I only get that one? Um, And it's not a price difference. It's got local meaning to it, right? That that story of local is now yeah. true. It's not just And a, it tastes better. It's not just a ooh, let me put this on a placard and, you know, convince somebody that they should spend a couple extra bucks for it. Mm-hmm. So so one hard question, ready? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to think about the future, future state. And knowing that your group, as well as lots of other groups that are really looking at local food sourcing, um, you know, the reality is that is going to impact larger companies at some point in a bigger way. I would expect it to. Do you see that? And if so, do you do you believe that those companies are going to do something to um, counter it or do a better job of working with you? I think it's always going to be a combination of things. So on a technology side, uh, we use a lot of... Uh, Varying techniques, but um, hydroponics, uh, whether indoor or greenhouse hydroponics are all in use. Those kind of things are changing a lot of farm and supply dynamics. Um, If we were strictly outside, uh, we may have uh, crazy pest pressure or things like that that make it really hard for a large company to say, oh, this is my ticket to make a a better pesto, a better whatever. Large producers always are going to have some advantage there, but there's got to be balance from both sides. So I think it's good for large companies to start innovating, not only from a product perspective, uh, but with their supply chain of how are we going to get better ingredients in here? Um, We've had some conversations of even just uh, making pesto uh, more of an artisan type pesto for 
um, what ends up being like an overage on our our growth. So if uh, customer A wants a certain amount of pounds mm-hmm. of of basil, well, we can't just grow exactly that amount. We got to grow a little extra because they may want a little extra or a little less. So there's always that overage on top. Um, and when you're dealing with scale, those are actually like really big numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, you could be talking hundreds of pounds of basil. Um, some stuff like that is like, okay, we're now going to take this really great basil and let's see if we can um, turn it into something that just can't be rivaled, can't be touched right. because somebody is on the other side buying the, you know, 23,000 pounds of the generic because that's what their buy is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like what you were saying earlier, um, you think about local restaurants and chefs and it's kind of a obvious choice that they would want to work with someone like you. But the fact that you're moving into schools and into hospitals, I think that's um, a spot where these mass produced foods probably would get a little worried. And you coming in with a really amazing pesto at the same price, that's where I think the pressure would be. Yeah. A lot of what we need to do and this, I say we, um, we as in small farms, uh, this new generation of uh, indoor farms that is just kind of uh, coming up everywhere is finding more pathways into partner with those types yeah. of individuals. Um, you know, at some point it's a, uh, similar pathway to what we had with premier produce where it's mutual benefit. Nobody is coming in, trying to sell something down your throat of this is what you need to do. And this will save your company or something. <laughs> it's mutual benefit, right? It's everybody coming together and saying, this is really something that we're both going to gain from. Um, and it's almost, done with fairness, right? It sounds weird to throw that out right in a, in a selling, buying relationship. Um, that's what will deliver the best product. That's fabulous. So if people want to learn more about Waterfields, how should they connect? Uh, so I think that the most fun thing is going to be just like following us on Instagram. Uh, we have a Instagram of products and chef plates and everything else, uh, at, Waterfields LLC as our handle. Uh, you can follow our, or go to our website at waterfieldsllc.com. Uh, in general, I say get out to restaurants. I was going to say, what experience. bars have flowers in the drinks? Yeah. I want to go try some this weekend. <laughs> we talked about Maplewood earlier, kind of off here. Um, Maplewood does a tremendous job of right at that entry point when you walk in the door. Uh, they've got mimosas and different uh, juice centric drinks, and everyone is garnished with a Waterfields flower. So, uh, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, going out and eating, especially in the slower months uh, for restaurants, November, January and February are miserable outside of Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, so the more we can support, the more we can engage as foodies, as experiential people, uh, the better those businesses are going to do and the more they're going to play and kind yep. of improve our whole food scene. I mean, the yeah. Cincinnati food scene, even since we started, has come miles. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of openings with different restaurants, but the quality of food, the attention. Uh, I hate to make the comparisons to Chicago because Chicago is a million miles away from here functionally. Um, There is more Chicago-like food scene coming to Cincinnati every day, and that's really exciting. Uh, This makes Cincinnati very special. Uh, I think selfishly, Waterfields has something to do with those kind of things, right? It's like the more local farms that can bring new quality things into the back of the kitchen, the more our chefs are going to innovate mm-hmm. and play yeah. and expand. Uh, You're inspiring them. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> All right, Daniel Clemens, thank you so much thank for you. joining us. And thanks for having me. We'll be looking for some nice drinks. Sure. 
And foods. And foods. And everything. If hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. <laughs>